Our worship team did a wonderful job as well. I was listening this morning. I, I heard Donnie doing a few little fancy licks on the bass this morning. I, th- I cocked one eyebrow. I was like, hey, get it, Donnie. You know, that's pretty good. But anyway, um, before we enter into the Word, I just want to take a moment to pray and ask that God's, God's voice be heard today and not mine. Father, as we enter into this time of hearing this message, Lord, I pray that, Lord, it's not my voice that's heard, Lord. We want to hear your voice. Lord, we approach Scripture, we read the Word of God because we want to hear what you have to say that will make a difference and have a transformative effect on our lives. So, Lord God, let us put aside all of uh, everything else that might be distracting us, concerning us. Lord, help us to focus our eyes on you and hear what you want to say to us this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning we're going to be, uh, uh, the, the, the title of this message anyway is called Who I Am and What I Do. And so we are at the beginning of the year. We are at this time where a lot of us are looking at our lives, considering things. What do we want to be different? What, what worked in 2022? And what do we want to change in 2023? And I think that it's important that as we do that, we return to the blueprint for what God has to say. Now, how many of you have, uh, have a New Year's resolution for this year? Anybody here? You want to raise your hand? Anybody have a New Year's resolution? Okay, I, I'm not seeing very many. All right. Does that mean you've already failed at your New Year's resolution? You don't want to admit it? All right, I, I know we're a whole eight days in. It was really hard. Uh, but that's, that's pretty typical. You know, um, there was a study done a few years ago that said only about 41% of people actually attempt some kind of a New Year's resolution. Now, of those 41%, that's less than half the people uh, that actually try to do some sort of New Year's resolution. Of those, about 52% of those are confident that they can actually complete it. So even the ones who say, yeah, I'm going to try to turn some things over, I'm going to try to do some things differently, most of them are like, well, I'm not so sure I'm going to be able to do it. As, uh, you know, and, and life bears that out. You know, It says, at least this study said that uh, typically only about 9 or 10% of people actually complete their New Year's resolution. And because of that, there's a lot of people who say, what's the point? There's a backlash, backlash against resolutions. They say, well, why are we even doing that? Um, and so some people, that they, uh, they'll even make fun of other people who are trying to, to do their, their New Year's resolutions. You know, one of our friends, Christian Rutland, he used to make fun of all the people that were in the gym on, in January and February. He's like, I can't wait for March when they've all fallen off the bandwagon and I can have my gym back again. You know, and, and that's the truth of it. It's hard to stick to something, especially when you're trying to make some kind of drastic change in your life. So a lot of people have taken a different tack. They've said, well, instead of making a New Year's resolution, I'm going to set it up as I just have this goal that I would like to achieve. Or maybe this is my intention for the new year. Or this is my theme, you know, for this year that, that I want to try and, and, and shape my life around. But here's the thing. No matter what your opinion of New Year's resolutions, it is important to periodically consider our lives and look at the trajectory that we're on. And then if we find that the path we're on is not taking us where we want to be, we have to do some course corrections. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, think about this. Anytime we face a situation, there's a background script that runs in all of our minds that that helps us decide what we're going to do in any given situation. The, and, and we don't even realize that this is running. It's, it's so second nature. You know, it, it's just, it comes out of who we are. But uh, if you slow it down, every decision you make kind of runs through this matrix. It starts like this. It says, what kind of situation is this? What is the problem that, that has arisen? What is this circumstance? Based on my life experience, what can I expect in this kind of situation? The second question we say is, well, what, what kind of person am I? You know, who am I and and what are those things that I do? And then, what does a person like me do in a situation like this? And that, it just kind of runs in the background. And you might say, well, you know, I don't think it's all that that complicated. You're right. It just kind of happens in our subconscious. Every time you go get bored in the middle of the night or, you know, it's, it's, it's almost bedtime and you're thinking, well, I need a little something to snack on and you go to the pantry and you look at it and, and you don't even realize it, your brain is running through all of those questions. You know, what kind of situation is this? I think I'm hungry. In reality, you're probably just bored. What kind of person am I? I'm the kind of person that snacks at night. <laughs> and then in this situation, what am I going to do? I'm going to get that bag of popcorn and I'm going to kill it, right? But anyway, 
That background script runs automatically each time we make a decision, and that demonstrates why it's so important that we understand who we are, because that is that important second step of that process. If you don't know who you are, you don't know how you're supposed to act in any given situation. So identity is something that is very important to us, and it has become even more important in recent times as familial, familial cultural, and social structures that, that used to guide us, that used to show us what we needed to do, those things have kind of crumbled, or we have seen that they're inadequate. They don't answer all of our questions, or, or uh, you know, the things that we thought we could rely on, we're not so certain we could rely on. You know, there's many people who, you know, it would just seem they would just go through life almost on autopilot because, you know, we're kind of told what we should do. Hey, you're five years old. You ought to enroll in kindergarten. Right. And then you go to school and you you go through that process and you graduate. And it's like, okay, well, now you need to choose the next branch of your life. Are you going to go to school or are you going to go into the workforce? You know, you continue uh, into into college, that sort of thing. So we we just kind of follow those paths. And then eventually we hit a place where it's like, okay, I've done all the things I'm supposed to do. But now is that serving me well? Am Am I on a track that I like? Am I doing the things that I know I'm supposed to do? And so a lot of people are kind of lost trying to figure out who I am. They're, uh, they're searching for ways to identify or define themselves by finding tribes of people who think about things the way they do, who enjoy doing the things they do. We naturally get together with people who are like us. It's just a matter of, 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 of convenience, right? Uh, I mean, if, if I went uh, to another country where I don't speak the language and I heard someone speak in English, you better believe I'd go over and introduce myself and I'd say, hey, please, can you tell me where the bathroom is? You know, I don't know where, what I'm doing. Can you show me the way? And so it's easy for us to find someone who we can connect with in simple ways. For instance, in sports, you've got all those crazy people who throw their L's up every Saturday, and you've got the big blue nation that makes fun of them, right? Uh, you know, uh, if, if NFL's more your thing, maybe you're part of the Bills Mafia. That sounds kind of scary, you know? Uh, or Shudder, please don't be one of those cheeseheads, you know? We, we, we create these fandoms. We create those, those, those groups of people who they enjoy the things we do. In music, you had the Beatlemaniacs and, and the Deadheads and the Kiss Army, and they've all been replaced with Swifties and Believers and the BTS Army, right? And so, you know, we, we, we organize around those things that we enjoy. For nerds, you've got the Trekkies and you've got the Potterheads, and, and you've got even, they call this the Diznerds. I just learned this one not too long ago. These are people who are all into Disney. You know, I had a friend of mine who, during the COVID lockdown, he, he and his wife, they started this process. They said, we, we're stuck at home. We don't have anything else to do. We're going to watch every single Disney animated film, and we're going to break it down and review it. And man, they just finished it the, the, a couple weeks ago. I was like, man, you guys are committed. Either that or just got too much time on their hands. I don't know what it is. Uh, but either way, uh, we, we get together with people who we feel a connection to. Car enthusiasts will order, or, uh, argue about, you know, what does Ford mean? Found on road dead, you know, or is it Ford tough? Uh, or, or are you a Mopar guy? You know, what kind of books and movies and TV shows do you watch? What are your hobbies? Even your political affiliation. We find these things that, you know, it goes along with what we like and, and we latch onto it and we make that a part of our identity. But that can't be our entire identity. You know, we have to get beyond those surface issues down to the core issues. Um, we are more than the sum of our opinions and our preferences. You know, just because you really like Italian food, that doesn't make you the Italian food guy. You know, it, it, it's, we have to be more than that. And for those of us who are Christians, it's important for us to find our identity in Christ, whatever that means. You know, we have to say, okay, if I have decided to live as a Christian, what does that mean? What kind of person does that make me? What kind of decisions and what kind of habits and, and what am I going to build into my life? And if you are not a believer yet, if you're still figuring things out, you have to ask yourself, how do you even begin to answer a question of identity when, when you're not even certain you understand what you believe all the way? And so there's nothing wrong with that. It's just it's a process that we have to go through. 
And so as we consider the type of person that we want to be in 2023 and beyond, it's important that we go back to the blueprint. And so that's why today we're going to go all the way back to the very beginning, to Genesis chapter 1. All right, so if you have your Bibles and you want to turn, we're going to be in Genesis 1, and we're going to be in verses 26 through 31, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, if that makes a difference. Some of you guys are fancy, you've got the app on your phone, you can switch from translation to translation, so you can follow right along. But here's what the text says. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came marking the sixth day. So this passage is, is foundational for Christians. You know, it, it tells us what God was thinking when he created us. And so I just want, over the next few minutes, I want to kind of talk about some of these phrases in here and point out some of the important concepts that are contained in this very short passage. It's only five verses, and yet it should make a drastic difference in the way we live our lives. So first of all, in verse uh, 26, it says that we are created in the image of God. It says, he should, we, let us create him to be like us. And so we're created in God's image. Now, theologians have argued for years, what does that mean to say that we're in God's image? I mean, all we have to do is look around this room and, and see that we don't all look alike. We're not all clones. We're not all copies. You know, some of us are handsome and some of us are not. And I'm not going to point fingers at anybody, right? But, but the point is, is like we all reflect God in some way. What does that mean to say that we're in God's image? Well, number one, we have reason. There's a rationality behind it. When you read the story of creation, you see that there was order to it. You see that God was bringing order out of that chaos. And, and so he had a, 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 a way that made sense. And there is a wisdom. It talks about this in Proverbs. Proverbs says that she is the first fruits of creation because by me all things are made. Uh, not, uh, not in comparison to Jesus, but, but everything is made in a rational way. Things make sense in this world. Now, sometimes it makes sense and we don't like what we see, but things do make sense, right? If I jump off this stage, I better be able to land. Why? Because gravity is there and it's going to always uh, apply no matter what. I can't switch off gravity. I can't, you know, uh, change the laws of nature and physics. That's just the way God set up the world. There is a reason. There's a rationality behind it. And we have reason. We have the ability to look at things, to think through things, to consider them. Uh, we shouldn't be going through life, uh, our life in a way that is, is unreflective, where we don't think about the things we say and what we do. How many times do we do something or we say something and then we say, oh, I wish I could take that back, right? And that happens uh, uh, much less when we actually think through what we're going to say before we open our, our mouth. So there's a rationality behind it. Second, there's a purpose behind it. You know, God didn't just create humanity. He, he created us and he gave us a job. He has something that he wants us to do. And then the last thing is he gives us authority, right? He, God has a, a ultimate authority over the universe, and yet he says to humanity, I want you to govern. I want you to reign. He gives us authority to act with him. So when we are made in the image of God, I can't give you the exact answer as to what it means to say we're in the image of God. All I can say is that this, in some way, the humanity, the, the, the way that we've been created, the pattern that we've been made reflects the reality of who God is. Now, second, God tells us that we are supposed to reign over the earth. We're supposed to govern. Now, I don't know about you, but if there's any career that I would never want to touch with a 10-foot pole, that would be government. I don't want any part of it. Why? Because you can never make everybody happy, right? And everybody looks to you to fix all the problems in the world. 
You know, you, you can't do it. Some people look at our president and they say, President, fix all these things. I want you to fix the economy and bring the gas prices down and do all that. And they can set policies and they can do everything they, that they want. They can work with Congress to try to set things up the, in, in a way that's good for the nation. But you can't fix everything and you can't make everyone happy. It's just not possible. So I, won't, I don't want to touch government in that way, uh, with, you know, with a 10-foot pole. It just leave, leave me out of that. But at the same time, God has called us to reign and govern the earth. We're supposed to steward the resources. We're supposed to care for it just like he does. You know, God is a loving God. He cares for creation. He provides the things we need. We're going to talk about that a little later. But, but God is inviting us to join him in that work. So he creates us in his image. He invites us to reign with him. Now, verse 27 stands out. It's a little different. Um, now, uh, Genesis chapter 1, the whole thing is a poem. If you break it down and if you look at it, that, that is the form that it's written in. And when we read the English translation, sometimes you kind of lose that. Um, just because it's kind of hard to do a one-to-one comparison and, and to translate. I mean, literally, there, there are some translations that take each Hebrew word and they replace it with one English word, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So sometimes you have to give a little more freedom and a little more license to it. But verse 27 points out very clearly that, that poetic structure of Genesis 1. It says, So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What you see here is parallelism, which is a feature of Hebrew poetry. Um, often in Hebrew poetry, there will be a statement, and then there will be a restatement of that. So you'll see, see many of the verses will be like an A-B structure and then B-A. Or, or it'll say, you know, A-B-C-B-A-B. You know, it, it just kind of breaks it all down and it repeats things. That is a that is a feature of Hebrew poetry. You know, you can think about English poetry. I don't know about you guys, but I always hated when we would learn about a particular poetic form because I'm not a poet. I'm not artistic in that way. And so then they would tell us, okay, this is the features of an English sonnet. Now I want you to go write one. And I would just want to pull my hair out. I'm like, why are you making me do this? You know, but, but you can think about it. There's rhyming structures. There's, uh, you, know, you can do the Japanese haiku. I, I had a friend once that he would, he would like to uh, post haikus uh, on his Twitter feed all the time, it, just about anything, you know, what he ate that day or whether or not, you know, he, he slept enough that night. He'd write a haiku about it. I'm like, you're one weird dude, right? Uh, but anyway, there's poetry to it. And the reason that's important is because poetry speaks to the soul. It goes beyond the facts and the words to something that is a deeper truth, right? I mean, when you read a really good piece of poetry, it, it moves you. you. It connects with you. And so the fact that when, when, when they were putting together the Old Testament, when they are putting together Genesis, they chose a poem to kick it all off. We're trying to get to that deeper truth. Now, some people get hung up on, you know, did God create the world in 24 little, literal hours and, you know, six days of that and then a day of rest? He could have. I don't know. I wasn't there. Were you? If you were, please fill me in. I would love to know, you know. But it could be six 24-hour literal days. It could be six ages or periods of time, which is another way you can translate that word. However it is, the point is, is that we're trying to show, or they were trying to show, how God created order and how he had a reason and a purpose behind it. There's a truth to it. And that same is true with us. He didn't create us by accident. You know, he made us for a purpose, and, and we have to find that and think about that, consider that as we approach our life. Verse 28 says, Then he blessed them. So the very first thing that God ever did in his first interaction with God, or with humanity, is he blessed us. He looked at us and he said, I want you to have blessing and favor. And I pronounce that over to you right now. And then he invited us to join him in his creative and authoritative work. So God spoke blessings over us. That shows us what his intention is for us. He didn't create us so that we would suffer. He didn't create us so that you know, he could toy with us and, and, and torture us and all of that. No, he created us because he wanted to shower blessing and favor and love upon us. And he wanted us to join him in his work. You know, 
this is important when we think about, you know, it, our culture today is very different than it used to be. Because it used to be, whatever your father or mother did, you probably copied along with. You know, if, you, if your father was a farmer, you were probably going to be a farmer. If your father was a blacksmith, you were going to be a blacksmith. Maybe that's why there's so many smiths out there. I don't know. But, but the point is, is uh, that, that there was a generational occupation. Things were passed down from father to son, from mother to daughter. We taught each other how to do things because, I mean, that was the education system we had. You went, you worked alongside dad, you learned how to do what he did, and then you did it. Or you went and you learned, mom showed you how to do what she did and how she had provided for the family. You learned how to do that. That was the pattern of how things were passed down in the world. We have the same thing with our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father reigns and rules over creation. And so He's passing that down to us. That is our generational occupation. Now, you might say, well, I have a lot of other things to do. I'm too busy for all of that. But that was the original purpose. That was the original design. And so as we're deciding how to shape our lives, the decisions that we're going to make, we need to keep that original blueprint in mind. Jesus, in John chapter 14, verse 12, he said this. He said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. Now, when I was younger, I didn't really understand that, because I thought, how can we do things greater than Jesus, right? I mean, he walked on water. I can't do that. He... he laid his hands on people and, and just healed them miraculously. I, I can't do I can't make the, the lame to walk and the blind to see. That's beyond my ability to do. And he even called people forth from the dead. How am I supposed to do greater things than that? But that's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying greater in terms of quantity rather than quality. Because guess what? We're all little Christ. We're all out here doing God's work. And so each time we're able to bless and touch someone's life, that is a multiplication effect. I mean, think about it in your life. Uh, there's only so much you can do. You only have 24 hours a day. But give you a personal assistant who's there working aside, beside you, you've now doubled your output because you've got two people that can work on the task. You know, that's why uh, I have such great respect for people who are single parents because you're doing it all by yourself. Man, that is a tough task. You know, and, and being a parent just in general is tough. But to do it without assistance... Man, that, that takes some real grit and some real courage. But anyway, um, God blessed us and he invited us to join him in his work. Why? He wanted us to have a purpose. He doesn't want us to drift through life not knowing what we're supposed to do. He doesn't want us to just consume and, and, and live and breathe and then die and not make a difference in the world. He has a job. He has a purpose for each and every one of us. Verse 29 shows God's second interaction for us, and that was that he provided for her, our needs. He said, look, I've given you all the food you need. I've given you uh, the, the food for the animals as well. And, and so God's second interaction with humanity, the first one was to bless us. The second one was to provide for us. He said, look, I'm going to give you what you need. Now, he wants us to have the things that we, we need to flourish in life. That doesn't mean we're always going to have them. There are going to be times of want. There are going to be times where we made a dumb decision and we don't have all the resources that we need. We spent all our money on, on, a, on a motorcycle and then the washer breaks and you don't have money to, to, to go fix the washer. You know, that was our own dumb decision. We didn't need that motorcycle. We wanted that motorcycle, you know. And, and so sometimes we make poor decisions that keeps us from having all the things we need. Other times... There are circumstances outside of us that we have no control over that keep us from having the things we need. We might get laid off from a job or someone might make a poor decision uh, that, that affects us. So we're not always in control of that, but that doesn't mean that God's not still providing for us. That is something else. Uh, it, it's an exterior circumstance. And then there's also the fact that, the, that, that evil exists in the world. You know, it, it breaks my heart sometimes. You read some of these reports about, um, you know, aid efforts that are sent to these countries that are war-torn or, or that are experiencing famines or droughts. And, and there's plenty of resources in the world. There's plenty. And so many of us try to share and, and we give to charities and we volunteer and we give work and, and we work towards these things because we want to relieve suffering in the world. And yet there are evil people who take advantage of that and they, they keep and they hoard all those resources for themselves instead of getting them to where they need to be. So there's evil that exists in the world. That's another reason why we don't always have what we need. But even though there are times of want, even though there are times where we don't have everything that we desire or, or feel like we even need to survive, 
That's not God's original plan. God's plan was to provide everything we need. So that shows us that you know, when we do have a need, we can turn to Him because that was His intention all along was to provide what you need. So make sure you're not buying motorcycles on credit you know, when, when you don't have the money for it. But you can turn to God and say, God, I have this need. God will be there and He will provide for you. How do we know that? Because in verse 39, we see God's third thing. He demonstrated his reliability and his faithfulness to us. It says this in, in uh, verse 29, or, or in verse 30. It says, I've given every green plant as food for the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life, and that is what happened. God said it. He said, this is what I'm going to do, and he followed through on that promise. So here we see when God first created humanity, we see God's intentions towards us. He created us, and He invited us to join Him. He provided for us, and He was faithful to us. And those three things help us understand just what it is that we're supposed to be and do as humans. And the, the last point I want to point out is says He saw that it was very good. Now, if you read earlier in the chapter, it, at the conclusion of each day, God would stand back, He'd look at what He created that day, and He'd say, man, that, He saw that it was good. That's what it says. But when you get to this part, after he creates humanity and he sets up this pattern, he steps back and he says, oh man, this is very good, right? So humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. And it was only after we were added into the mix that the job was completed and God could step back and say, okay, now I can rest. Now I'm done. Things are done. I've created humanity. They're going to help me govern and reign and rule over this world. And so now we can rest. Listen, that makes us the cherry on top. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get my ice cream, I don't, you know, it's an indulgence, right? So you don't want just plain old ice cream. We want the whipped cream on top and the nuts and the sprinkles, and let's put that cherry on top. I mean, if we're going to celebrate, let's celebrate, right? And that's what we were. We're, we're the crown of creation. And so that is another thing that we need to understand in our minds because we're so hard on ourselves sometimes. We, we beat ourselves up because we don't complete or we don't live up to our own expectations and there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with looking at your life and saying man I wish this was different I wish I'd done this differently I would like to improve in this area there's nothing wrong with that but you can't just beat yourself down all the time because that's not how God looks at you he doesn't look at you and, and, and with disappointment all the time he looks at you with love I mean for those of us who are parents how many of us can think of times where our children did something that we told them not to do and now they're having to suffer the consequences of, of something that we warned them against. And yet, you know, while we might be upset, we might be angry with them, it doesn't reduce our love for them. You know, and, and you know, we still communicate how proud we are of them and, and how much we're there for them, even though they're now going to have to deal with some things that we wish they didn't have to deal with. So as parents, that's how we look at them. And we have to understand that God looks at us in the same way. So when we look at this blueprint in Genesis of what God designed humanity to be, it's easy to see why we can look around at the world and look at the situation and the circumstances of the world today, and it's easy to see why we can look at it and we can feel blank. And you can fill in that blank with, with many different words. We look at the world and maybe we're hurt, or we look at the world and maybe we're angry, or we're disillusioned, or, or, or whatever, disappointed. Um, so it's easy to see, you know, when we see what the original plan was and how it's gone so far, it's easy to see why we do that. And the same with ourselves. You know, when we look at ourselves and we see, you know, God created me to be in partnership and relationship with Him. God created me to have all the things I need to, to live a godly life, to live and, and create uh, order out of chaos and, and to be part of the, what, what made the world tick and made it work. And yet, I don't feel like I've always done that. So, when we realize that things are not the way they should be in ourselves and in the world, we usually want to do something about it. You know, if I see something that's not right, I see something that's not, not the way God designed it to be, I usually want to make a difference in the world. That's why it's so easy, you know, for, for people to come to you and say, hey, would you like to sign this petition? Would you like to donate this money? You know, we, we all want to be a part of the solution. But here's the problem. We sometimes just look to other people to fix it. Man, it's terrible that this is going on, but it's like I was talking about earlier. We say, well, the government should fix it. 
You know, the, the, the government should come up with a program to make sure that everybody has enough food to eat and everybody gets educated and everybody has, uh, you know, food and shelter and clothing. I mean, there are people pushing right now for, for universal basic income to make sure that everybody has what they need to live and survive, no matter whether they work or not, all that kind of thing. People look to others to fix all the problems. Other times, we look at it and we say, well, I'm just going to fix it myself. We take matters into our own hands. And... Um, and, and then we decide, well, I'm just going to make uh, the change because it's better to ask for forgiveness you know, uh, than for permission. So I'm just going to do it. Uh, but no matter which pattern or wh- which decision you make when you address a problem, the emphasis is usually on the action. What can I do? And we, we jump to what can I do sometimes before we think about the other part. See, we need to put the who before the do. Who am I? And then that helps us make our decisions as to what we're going to do. So when we desire to see change, we have to learn how to ask ourselves, not what should I do, but who do I want to become? And when we answer that question of who do I want to become, we need to remember this blueprint that God made for our lives. So when you ask this question, who do I want to become? That's a great question. It's a clarifying question. But simply answering that question is not going to answer all of the, 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 the questions that you have in your mind about what should I do. You know, even if you know who you are, it doesn't tell you what you should do in each particular situation. And it's not going to uh, address every area of your life. Because some of the questions about who am I, it changes based on your circumstance. Or, or on your, um, on your uh, setting, that, in your context that you're in. So, for instance, um, you know, the who we are question has many answers. Some of us are men, some of us are women. That means we're going to approach life differently from each other. In a certain context, I'm a dad, and in another context, I'm a son. You know, uh, in, in one context, I'm a, I'm, I'm a boss, and in another context, I'm an employee. You know, each of us have these different contexts that we have to operate in. Those all feed into and make a part of who we are and, and what we're supposed to be. Some of us ha- are wealthy. Some of us are not. Some of us are healthy. Some of us are fluffy. It doesn't matter. You know, we all have different situations. And, and when we answer that question as to who we are, you know, that, that makes a difference. As I was thinking about this, I, I was thinking about, you know, how there's all these different roles that we fulfill in our lives. And, and I, was, I was trying to think of a good way to communicate that, and I had this image of, of a patchwork quilt. Anybody have any, like, uh, uh, quilts that are heirloom, you know, maybe handed down from a grandma or, or, or a great-grandmother, and, and it's cherished in your family. And when you look at that quilt, you see a lot of different things, right? You see usually patterns and designs. You see different fabrics that were used. Why did they make quilts? Well, it was because a lot of times when you made something, you'd have little scraps of fabric left over. And, it, you know, we don't want to be wasteful with that, so what do we do? We put them together in a creative way. And, and so, you know, when you look at a quilt, you'll see the different colors, the different shapes, the different designs, patterns on all the different fabrics. They put them all together. And when, when Grandma spent hours stitching these things together by hand, and, and why was she doing that? She was doing it to create something beautiful, and she was creating it to do something that would be useful for her family. So every time you cuddle up underneath that quilt, you are literally covered in your grandma's love or, or whoever it was that made that. You know? And so our, our lives are a little bit like that. The various parts of our lives are all stitched together with love and care and attention. And the hope is that we're going to create something useful that we can pass down to a future generation. Another example would be a faceted gemstone. How many of you have ever had to go and you're trying to buy a, a ring or a piece of jewelry and you're looking at those gemstones and, and it's just amazing how much uh, precision they have in crafting those, the, the faces of those gemstones. Each surface is carefully cut and ground and polished and if it's not done just right, it's not going to look beautiful. But when we do that, and, and our lives are like that, you know, there's many facets of our life. You know, we have our family life, we have our career, we have our education, we have our uh, friends and hobbies, and, and all of those facets of our life go into this one gemstone. 
But here's the thing about a gemstone. Usually there is a primary face. There's a top face. This is the angle that you're supposed to look at things through to see the gemstone for what it truly is. So like if you've got a diamond that's usually, you know, the top surface, and because of all the other cuts, all the other facets, when you look through that top face of the gemstone, you see something beautiful. It sparkles. You know, it's very valuable. And it's the same way in our lives. We have many different facets to our life, but there's one very important one that we have to answer. We have to understand who we are in relation to God. If the musicians would like to come forward at this time, we're getting towards the end. So there's two questions that we can ask ourselves that help us answer how do we put the who before the do? How do I not just jump into some kind of action? How do I consider who I'm supposed to be and how that shapes my decisions in life? So question number one, what is the biggest driving force that shapes your habits? And if you think about New Year's resolutions, if you think about trying to change things in our life, we have to start with habits, right? Um, So what shapes your habits? What shapes your habits is how you think of yourself. It's like the old phrase, you know, whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't, you're right. You know, it's all about, uh, you know, how we look at ourselves. You know, and and once you have an identity, once you take uh, that identity and create it, it helps make your decision so much easier. For instance, if you have decided that I'm the kind of person that doesn't eat extra sugar, well, then when someone offers you a, a Coke, it's real easy to say, well, no, I don't do that because I'm the kind of person that only drinks water and unsweet tea. I mean, you know, if you don't want to enjoy life, that's on you. Uh, or, you know, if you decide that I'm going to start getting in shape, I want to be healthy, you, you make that decision. Should I get up and go to the gym? Yeah, you probably should. If you've decided that I'm going to be a healthy person, if you've made that a part of your, your identity, it makes the decision as to whether or not you should go to the gym an easy one. You know, because healthy people exercise. Healthy people watch what they eat. Those kinds of things. So what is the biggest driving force that shapes your habits? It's how you perceive yourself. How does that affect us spiritually? When we understand who we are, we are created by God. We're created with a purpose. We're created with a design. There, there's something that God desires for us. He wants to be in a relationship with us. And so when we realize that for ourselves, that shapes our habits very clearly. Because you can't be in a relationship with somebody that you never talk to. You can't be in a relationship with somebody that you neglect and disregard. So, you know, that means that if you desire to be in that relationship with God then that shapes your habits. You need to pray. You need to read the Word. You need to surround yourself with people who can speak God's truth into your life. And so those habits become second nature once we know who we are. I'm the kind of person that lives in a good relationship with God. That's the same with any relationship. If you stop talking to your wife, you're probably not going to stay married. You know, the silent treatment's not fun, right? And the longer it goes, the worse it gets. If you don't talk to each other, You're not going to have a relationship. Same with your friends. You know, it's funny that, you know, you have those certain friends who it doesn't matter if you hang out every week and you can sort of pick right back up right where you were. But even though you still have good feelings towards each other, you still have that shared history, you haven't been a part of each other's lives. And so there is a distance that grows there as you don't communicate. So what is the biggest driving force is... uh, your perception of who you are. And then what is the biggest driving force that shapes who you think you are? It's your habits. So it kind of goes back on each, on each other. You know, uh, what you do determines how you're going to feel. You know, if I'm eating junk food all the time and I'm not working out, I don't feel good about myself. If I am procrastinating and not getting all those things done that I need to do, I don't feel good about myself. If I've been angry and short with the people that I love, I don't feel good about myself. And so those habits go into how we look at ourselves, and then how we look at ourselves shapes our habits. Those two things are going to play back and forth. And so as we consider what we want our life to look at and look like, we need to consider those things. Now, one decision isn't going to mess you up. You know, we talked earlier about all the people that have fallen off their bandwagon already, all the people that have already failed their New Year's resolutions. But here's the thing, you know, nobody's perfect nobody's going to get it right all the time 
And so the thing is, you have to just make the next best decision, right? The next time that decision point comes up, don't mess up again. You know, there's, there's been a lot of times when I was trying to watch my diet, watch what I eat, and, and you know, you mess up, you eat something that you probably shouldn't, and then the, 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 the uh, script that plays in your mind is, well, I've already messed up today, so I might as well eat that whole sleeve of Oreos, you know? I've, I've already messed up. Today's already a failure. I might as well just go all the way, right? And, and that's not what we're supposed to do. You know, we're, we're supposed to look at our life and say, you know what, I messed up that one time, but I have grace I have another chance. I can start over. It's the same way in our lives. Each decision that we make casts a vote as to what kind of person we are. James Clear, uh, the, the author of Atomic Habits, he says this. He says, every action you take is a vote towards the type of person you wish to become. No single instance will transform your beliefs, but as the votes build up, so does the evidence of your new identity. So as we're trying to decide who we want to be in 2023, we have to to cast a vote. And so the question is, is if you're a Christian, you need to cast that vote and say, I'm a Christian, I'm the kind of person that goes to church. I'm the kind of person that uh, is generous. I'm the kind of person that is forgiving. Each time you do those things, you're casting a vote, and everybody around can see, hey, this person has made a change in their life. They're doing things differently than they used to. And so you won't have that old identity anymore. The new identity will grab hold of you. In Genesis chapter 1, God spoke, and it came into existence. I've talked about this many times before. You know, we read, and it says, in the English translation, it says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. But in the Hebrew, it just says, God said, light, and it was. There's something powerful about God's Word. He speaks things into existence. And man, it'd be nice to have that, uh, that, that, that ability. It'd be nice for me to just say, you got all your eggs, uh, you know, all your ducks in a row, all your eggs in the basket, everything is how it needs to be. If I could just speak that into existence in my life, that'd be awesome. If I could walk into my house and say, this house is dusted and vacuumed and all the toilets are scrubbed. Man, that would be great. But that's not the way life works. Instead, if I want a clean house, what do I have to do? I have to go in and I have to decide, well, rather than turning the TV on, I'm going to run the sweeper. And rather than turning the TV on, I'm going to scrub that toilet. You know, and, and then that gives me the thing that I need in, or, or want in my life. So we have to take things a bit more slowly. We have to cast votes every day. And so that's why... You know, that's why our spiritual life is called a journey, right? It, it, is a, it is a passage of time. We start in one place and we're going to end in another. So we have to look at who do we want to be and where I'm going. So that's my challenge for you guys today and, and this week is decide who you're going to be. Craft an I am statement and then let that uh, create an action plan for you, an I do statement. So you can think of it in terms of this. I am a good father, and as a good father, I'm going to spend time with my children. Or, I am a, I am a hardworking employee, and as a hardworking employee, I'm going to go above and beyond to make sure that our company succeeds in what we're trying to do. Or you can say, I am a disciplined person in my finances, and because of that, I'm going to disconnect Amazon Prime from all my cards because I'm not going to spend any more money than I need to. Each of these things, we create this identity for ourselves, and then that makes the decision process so much easier. But we have to understand that there's one identity that's more important than any other. What is your identity in Christ? What is your identity with God? And once you have that one down, it's going to help you. Listen, you don't have to do this by willpower alone. We've already demonstrated that when we just decide to do something and it's based on our willpower, willpower runs out. Some days you got more of it than others. Some days by 2 p.m., your willpower is gone, along with your patience, and everybody's on your last nerve, right? So willpower is fleeting, but we don't have to do this life on our own. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to help us, to guide us, to to keep us on track, to give us strength when we feel like we're failing, to to build us up when when we're beating ourselves up. You know, we can look to God... And we can just feel that, that warm hug. I was uh, watching a video the other day, and it was uh, two 
two young British men, they were traveling through the United States eating American foods, just trying them out. And they went to this one restaurant, and they, they wanted to get the quintessential southern biscuits and gravy. And it reminded me of our biscuit boys, you know, that we've got here at church. But anyway, they, they went in, and they, they, they ate the biscuits and gravy. At first, they were confused. They were like, these are not biscuits, because in, in England, biscuits are cookies, you know. So these aren't biscuits, but I'm going to try them anyway. They ate them, and, and they both of them, you could just see their eyes roll back in their head. They were like, oh, man. And, and the one guy, he said, he said, he said, this is like eating grandma's hug. He said, <laughs> He said, it just warms you from the inside out. And, and so that's what it is. You know, God, God is there with us. And, and, you know, sometimes we just need that warm hug. We need that from the inside out. That's what the Holy Spirit will provide for us. So now as we come to the end of this time, many of us are deciding what we want to do with our lives. Some of us are at decision points. You know, it's what do I do? Do I stay in this job? Do I change? Um, you know, my, my family circumstances are changing. Uh, my financial circumstances are changing. We're trying to figure out what we're supposed to do. So here's what I want to do. If the prayer team will come and join me up front and you find yourself in a place where you're trying to decide what it is that you need to do next, this is where we can ask God for wisdom. You don't have to figure it all out on your own. I'm so glad for that because there's a lot of times where I just don't get it, right? How many of you guys have uh, had that experience where you're at school and they're trying to explain a certain kind of mathematical concept or physics or something like that and you read it and it just doesn't make sense to you. And then you read the, 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 the paragraph again and, and it still doesn't make sense to you. A lot of times we then have to go to somebody and say, look, you, you passed your test. Can you tell me what am I not seeing here? What am I not understanding? And so we can do the same thing when it comes to God. Sometimes we look at our lives and we say, God, I don't see the answer. I, I don't know the way out. And so we can even go to Scripture, and, you, and people say, well, just, just live by the Word. Just do what the Bible says. Sometimes you read the Bible, and you're like, hey, this ain't so clear. I don't understand what God's asking me to do here. So if you're in that place today, and there's many different areas that could be in. Number one, you might be one of those people that's still just flirting with your beliefs. You might say, I'm not sure what I really, truly believe about God, but I know that the way my life has been going, it's not working out the way I want it to. And I'm open to trying something different. If that's you today, you can come down front and you can pray with one of these prayer warriors and they will show you and lead you how to enter into a relationship with Christ today. Maybe you're fa facing some sort of struggle in your life and you just need some victory. It's beating you down. It's worn you out. You don't know what to do next. And you just need God to give you either the strength or, or, or some kind of an answer. Or maybe it's healing. You know, we can cast that vote by saying, God, when you said that you would give us healing, it's part of the atonement that I'm going to claim that healing for me or for my loved ones, and we're going to pray for that healing today. So whatever your situation today is, the altar is open. So if everybody stand to your feet, we're going to pray, and then uh, the, the, the praise team is going to sing while we enter uh, into this time of an altar response. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this message that you've given us about who we are and what we're supposed to do. And Lord, while it all sounds good, sometimes when we take this truth that we know to be true, we know it's your word, we know it's your design, but then we try to apply it to our lives. It's confusing. We don't understand what is the right thing to do in any given situation. So Father, as we enter into this time, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to speak to us. Give us wisdom. Give us guidance. Help us to know what to do. Help us to not be worn down. Help us to not be tired and, 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 and too, uh, too defeated, Lord, to, to walk forward in the victory that you want to give us. So, Lord, as we enter into this time of response, Lord, I pray that you would just be present today, Lord, and that you would help us to understand who we are so that we can know what we're supposed to do in our life. The altar is open right now. And so if you would like to come forward and, and have prayer, uh, th this is the perfect time for that. Go ahead. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the
we get ready to close today, we're going to conclude our service by taking communion together. So if the ushers would now come forward, they have the elements here. And what we're going to do is once they get up here and they're in position, we're going to have everybody come down front. You can collect the, the bread and, and, and the, the juice. Uh, and then uh, we will observe communion together as we close this service. So I guess we'll give them just a second to get situated there.